0: I lost my notebook where I was keeping all my notes. I didn't lose it. A can of commemorative Simpsons Buzz Cola from 7-Eleven, way back when, fell off the bookcase and did that soda thing where it hit the ground and started spraying all over. And it got on my notebook and I had to toss it.
1: Doug Jones. That is Lane Needler. And this is Call and Response, a podcast about movies. Thank you for joining us. Um, For those of you who this is your first episode, you picked a great one. I'm very excited with two fantastic films to talk about this week. This uh, is a show where two, two good friends, Doug Jones and Lane Needler, sit down in a tiny shed surrounded by movie memorabilia, DVDs, comic books. What else is in here?
0: Junk, TV, alarm clocks, a thermos meant to keep Both your hot and your cold Dr. Pepper For you on, at picnics Gross <laughs> And there have been requests And we will put some photos of the shed up On Facebook uh-huh. So people can listen to us And look at the photos And pretend they're here with us
1: Thanks for listening to the show Thanks for sticking with us It's been a couple weeks Where I've been out of town a bit I always had to travel I went to the Cannes Film Festival I get to brag about going to the Cannes Film Festival, but I'm back in the shed. I could not be more excited to be back here. It's good to
0: have you back. Thanks, buddy. We tried some things. We did. I did an episode all by myself. We did a phone episode. Uh-huh. Yeah. This is our 10th full-fledged call and response episode.
1: Our little podcast is all grown up.
0: Yeah. And we've. I was going to say, we've actually gotten some random comments. A few people have t- tweeted a couple of com- comments. Oh, really? Yeah. And I just wanted... Well, you've seen these. But I was, I was going to share... Are they from my mom? Just to inspire anyone else who may want to tweet at us. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook, as we mentioned before. But in regards to our Bambi episode oh, that boy. we did did a few weeks ago, our friend Landom who we name-checked in the episode as the Disney yeah. go-to guy, he wrote, Composing my email of everything... Lane Needler and Doug Jones got wrong about Disney on their call and response podcast. Those fools. <laughs> I never got an email from Landon. No. He's Did all you?
1: He's all bark and no bites. Yeah. No e bite.
0: But we called that. And then and then our friend and I'll be up front, he is our friend. Tom Hall tweeted something and he said, Listening to Call and Response podcast, it's like hanging out with Doug Jones and Lane Needler. Love it. Need shed photo.
1: That's so sweet. I love you too, Tom. And I think it's real sweet that you are listening to the show. And I, yeah, I mean, that's the sort of the vibe I feel like the show gives across is that you're just hanging out in the shed with us as we talk about movies that we love.
0: Exactly. That's exactly what I wanted to do. That's what I like about this.
1: And this week's movies, I was my it was my choice my week to do the call film. And it's like, why didn't I do this film for my very first pick? I I love this movie so much. Uh, My choice was Down by Law by Jim Jarmusch, 1986. Um, do you like this movie?
0: I do like this movie. It's this
1: a fantastic film. It's, I rem- I had not seen it for a number of years. You know, I, I sort of sought it out when I was first getting into Jarmusch, and uh, you know, I didn't see it when it first came out. I was a little baby, but um, well, I was like ten, but um, I, I found it later, and I think it's my favorite film by, by him. It's 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 very sort of straightforward and simple. It's a fable. A lot of people describe it as like a fable, like a, a, a modern fantasy sort of film. For those of you who don't know the film, I, th- I feel like you should really watch the film. And and today today's films, especially, and then your response film, which is uh, Robert Brisson's A Man Escaped, is also a classic. Yeah. And if you haven't seen either of these films, it's like, what are you doing with your life?
0: Yeah, a couple other people I've talked to have said, you know, that the whole question of whether you need to see the film before you listen to our podcast or not. And it seems, the group consensus seems to be that, as... as nice it is, as it is to spend time with Lane and myself of course people do get more if they've seen the film so i'm going to try and get better about giving folks a head up on the various social medias yeah, that's nice. of what the films are coming up time to do your homework we usually say this at some point but we're going to move this up earlier in the show if you haven't seen the films we are a spoiler filled conversation
1: yeah we're going to get to, we're going to talk about the end and everything
0: we're going to talk about it. even though with a man escaped the spoilers are kind of right there in the title.
1: It's <laughs> true. Also, I feel like with these two particular films, "A Man Escaped" and "Down by Law," you need to see these films before having lunch later today. These are essential cinema. You know, th- these are films that you need to see before you continue breathing. Like, please drop what you're doing. So, "Down by Law," 1986. Uh, Jim Jarmusch is his third film. Uh, he reteams with John Lurie, who is a musician and sometimes actor. Was in his previous film, uh, "Stranger Than Paradise." And then it's also co-starring the fantastic Tom Waits, whose music uh, bookends the film. And then the beyond fantastic, incomparable Roberto Benigni. They play three men who are in New Orleans. And uh, there's sort of a brief uh, prologue section of the film showing their lives and how they get into a bit of trouble. And then the majority of the film is them imprisoned together in a small cell, the three men. And then they escape from the prison, and there's a extended sequence where they travel through a swamp, and then they sort of reach, well, they they get to a, a small cabin, and then they uh, they find a, a a garage sort of out in the middle of nowhere, and there they find happiness and life and sort of escape from all the troubles. So that's sort of the broad strokes of the film, but but getting down to the nitty gritty of it. So this is a film that premiered in 1986 at the Cannes Film Festival. Funny, I was just there. And um, and did not win a single thing, which is crazy to me because I think this is <laughs> such a great movie. I think this is such like a great sort of festival movie that plays to like art house audiences. You know, it's got Benigni in it and his first U.S. film. But it was like a tough year that year. It was uh, Martin Scorsese was also there in the competition with After Hours, and he got the directing award for that. And the Palme d'Or went to The Mission. Do you know this movie? Oh yeah, sure. I don't think I've ever seen
0: the mission. It's uh it's got an the thing that I think it's probably best known for now it's got this amazing uh Morricone soundtrack. Okay. Which you have heard in countless movie yeah. trailers. But it's it's Robert De Niro Jeremy Irons Jeremy Irons. I haven't seen it for a long time. I remember it's beautiful to look at and beautiful to yeah. listen to.
1: I just I mean, you know, art it's not hard to, to compete films against each other for awards, so now that stuff is sort of silly. Art isn't sports, you know, and it's kind of silly to be like, oh, that movie went and this movie didn't, but I just, when I was looking up the info on it, I was kind of baffled by that. On the Criterion DVD for Down by Law, they have the Cannes Film Festival uh, press conference on it, which is also really fun, mostly because of Mr. Roberto Benigni, <laughs> uh, who is just fantastic. So so uh, in the in the film, John Laurie plays a, uh, a small-time pimp you meet him in New Orleans, sort of slinking around, doing his pimping thing. And then a friend of his tips him off about a young girl that might be getting into the business. And so John Laurie goes to this apartment where he's sort of set up. The cops spring out, and there's like a 12-year-old in the bed. And so he goes to prison for that, and he's sort of set. So both him and Tom Waits are sort of set up. Tom Waits has uh, is down on his luck, and he, he has a dirtbag friend of him offer him $1,000 to drive a car across town. He gets pulled over, and they find a dead body in the trunk. And, like, the cops are, like, waiting for him. So it's like, he's also set up. But it's like, neither one of them are totally without sin. You know, like, they've transgressed slightly. And so they go to prison.
0: When we first see Tom Waits, he's being yelled at and berated by Ellen Barkin. Yeah. there's
1: that one scene, she's fantastic. That's
0: it. Yeah, it's this great tiny little role where she's... His fed up girlfriend. She is chucking all of his stuff out the window. We learn he's a DJ, but as we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about, he has a lot of this movie is about language and communication. He's a DJ who never talks to anybody,
1: right? Yeah.
0: Uh, and so she's yelling at him, chucking him out. We're getting the sense of him, and the only thing, he, the only thing that gets a response from him as she is screaming at him and and throwing all the stuff out the window is. When she touches his shoes.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's got these gunboat <laughs> rockabilly shoes. He's just like, not the shoes. Yeah, it's, his only, shoes. it's his only like prized possession. He's, she's shattered every other record around his head. Don't touch the shoes.
0: And um, then pre-prison, Roberto Beniti's character wanders through... Yeah,
1: there's a scene where he's He meets John Laurie, right? To, no, to Tom Waits. To Tom Waits.
0: Um, and
1: it's one of the best scenes in the movie. And it's a wonderful little bit of dialogue. Let's actually... Clip that scene in right here.
2: what to now said, to She Baby, don't go slow. Take me now. she don't know. It's a sad and beautiful (laughs) world. Yeah, it's a sad and beautiful world, pal. That's a good one. Thank you. Buzz-off to you, too. Buzz-off. 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 Buzz-off is a sad and beautiful word. Buzz-off. Buzz-off. Uh, good evening. Buzz-off uh, to everybody. Oh, thank you. Buzz-off to you, too. Oh, oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you.
1: I love that scene so much. It's so great. He's so great. Um, that was sort of an improv thing, actually. The line originally was uh, "It's a sad and beautiful song," and then Roberto Benini got it wrong, and he said "It's a sad and beautiful word." And then Tom Waits and Jim Jarmusch was like, "Did you say it's a sad and beautiful world?" And so, like, it was one of those. This This movie feasts on happy accidents, mm-hmm. you know, and it's sort of very much fueled by it.
0: Background on, on Benini at this time, he had become a pretty prominent italian comedian he'd been on tv he'd been in a few movies but nobody knew him outside of italy this was really his international debut he could he really couldn't speak english much better than what you see in the film he was learning he in the movie he has this uh notepad of phrases that he busts out Mm -hmm. and apparently in real life he had a notepad and a, a magazine yeah that he would bust out and just read random American or English phrases.
1: These three main characters are not parts that Jim Jarmusch wrote and then found actors for. He wrote a thing for Roberto Benigni, a thing for Tom Waits, and a thing for John Laurie. And so their characters are sort of informed by their real life, all three of them. Also, Tom Waits' music is at the top, at the bottom of the movie. I think maybe i mentioned that before. It's from Rain Dogs, possibly his best album, although The Black Rider is pretty amazing, too. But the, uh,
0: Black Rider's a little theatrical. You have to listen to that with the idea that it's meant for a theater piece. Yeah, though. but
1: it's just such an accomplished work, I feel like. Yeah. I don't know. Rain Dogs is definitely sort of the more, more classic, timeless. Oh, all I want to do is just sit around and listen to Tom Waits. Music. <laughs> all right, everyone turn off this podcast. Go to iTunes. Surely please,
0: there's a Tom Waits podcast. And
1: get the. Uh, yeah, probably. So the three guys end up in the cell together. Oh, and Roberto Benigni's character is kind of interesting. He. Uh, did do it you know which is kind of see this twist coming they're like what are you in for <laughs> the two non-english the two Americans are named Jack and Zach and uh, Benini who's Roberto's real name Bob it plays Bob and he's there's sort of a funny thing where he's like calls Jack Zack and Zack, Jack and but uh, he really did do it it's this sort of like said he's just sort of resigned to his fate he deserves to be in prison and then the evolution of their sort of relationship in prison is very interesting too because it well first of all it's shot in a very interesting way where it never leaves the cell the whole time they're in prison you don't see anything in the yard you don't see anything at at the at the dining facility um you're just in that room with the with the two double bunk beds and um yeah it's very claustrophobic so they sort of like make each other's lives more miserable, you know? I mean, I feel like if I was like trapped in it, maybe I would just feel like this because I'm in the shed with you right now. If I was like trapped in a small <laughs> cell with somebody, you would try to kind of like be friends or like just make each other's lives not more miserable. And instead, they just like go days without talking and they just like bicker at each other. I don't know. I think you know. It's like I love all these characters, and they just hate each other for so long. And then the sort of turning point is when I feel maybe this is the turning point, maybe not. But uh, one of my favorite scenes is another Benini scene, where he um, has one of his little phrases from his English phrase book: "I scream, a you scream, a we all scream a for ice
2: cream Watch out for Bobby, maybe cheating. there's <laughs> <laughs> no joke. Look where I am. <laughs> He's no funny. <coughs> What? Pair. What? Two pair. What do you have? On? What do you got? Nothing. Of course, nothing. Huh? <laughs> hey, what did you? I'm screaming. <laughs> screaming. <laughs> Never heard. Screaming, screaming, ah, screaming, screaming. Um, one moment. Are you ever screaming? <laughs> screaming. Screaming, Echo. Ice Cream, you scream we all scream for ice cream. Ice creamer, you scream we all scream for ice cream. Well, no, you, yeah. you understand it? I scream, you scream, we all scream for ice cream. Ice cream, you scream we all scream for ice cream. Ice cream, you scream, we all scream for ice cream. Ice cream, you scream, tua we all scream for ice cream. Ice cream, you scream, we all scream for ice cream. cream. We'll ice cream, you scream, we all scream for ice cream. Ice cream, you scream, we all scream for ice cream. Ice cream, you scream, we all scream for ice cream. Ice cream, you scream, we scream for ice cream. Ice cream, you scream.
1: That's a fantastic scene, and then Benini finds a way to escape. They don't really show any Take of the. De- it's a, the opposite of the next film we're going to talk about. Exactly, uh, which is why it's a nice response. Um, and then they they cross the the river and they uh, get through the, the the swamp, and then they come across this little cabin. And it's one of the best visual jokes of the movie. And inside the cabin are two little twin bunk beds that look exactly like the cell they were just in. <laughs> And now, one of the things that Jarmer says about making the movie... I don't know if this is true or not. Maybe he's lying. Maybe he's just adding to the mystique of the fable of Down by Law. Is that they found the cabin that actually looked like that. Like, they said that the plan was always to have the room look like the cell. And if they didn't happily stumble upon a cabin that looked just like that, they were going to build it. But they just happened to find this cabin that had those two double bunk beds in it.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. You don't don't believe him? Maybe. I mean... (laughs) Maybe. He said... It's he's a sad also, and
1: beautiful world, Doug.
0: He's also said that he'd never... You know, like, he had never been to New Orleans. He'd never been yeah, to Louisiana before, before writing Brady. this movie. So I can imagine that they're... And even despite that, I mean, the film gives a very strong sense of location. So, happen, happenstance. Maybe something did happen. Yeah. I mean, to your point, going back a minute about what you are saying about the characters, mm-hmm. and this and this goes into the idea of, like, he wrote these characters for these people, you know, John Laurie and Tom Waits. Right. These characters, they both have such a... They're both such personas mm-hmm. that these people are putting on. And not I'm not saying the actors are putting on, but, like, the characters themselves. I mean, John Laurie's character is, is the pimp, so he's got he's very slick, and he's got to be cooler than cool. Right. And you get the sense that, you know, Tom Waits... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And Tom Waits' character is... He's this sort of beatnik hipster DJ, so right. he's also always he got to be, to gotta be very he's cool. S- yeah, just sort
1: of interacting with his on the air audience and nobody
0: else. So I mean, I think that's part of that's where some of that conflict comes yeah, from. Is like definitely. they can't drop those characters at all to have a moment where they would actually connect with this person who's stuck in this cell with them, and that's why Bob, you know, Benini is so good. Like he's just all over the place. Like he's just got this crazy character that doesn't really even relate to reality or what's about around him. (laughs) He's just coming up with these things, and he's such a... He's throwing so many curveballs at these guys, watching them both try to deflect it and be surly about it, (laughs) but yet, at the same time, occasionally getting swept in when they start talking about screaming for ice cream, or... uh, One of my favorite exchanges, uh, Roberto Benigni draws a window on their (laughs) cell... And then he asks John Laurie, "You know, what do you say in, say in English? Do you say you look out the window or you look at the window?" And Laurie's just like, "Well, in this case, you got to say you look at the window." <laughs> just like these little bits, and I think, again, you know, like John Laurie. I was reading something where, you know, John Laurie, who, as you mentioned, he's a musician. He has this band called the Lounge Lizards yeah. that do this sort of deconstructive lounge jazz post-punky sort of bebop thingamajig, right. yeah. And so like even like his character that he constructed as the leader of that band very much informs the character that he's playing in the movie. Right. To a certain extent same with Tom Waits who Rain Dogs and that album was kind of a turning point where he was getting a bit more theatrical. Mm-hmm. Where previously some of his earlier albums had been much more the boozy beatnik you know, I'm at a piano. I'm sitting here at a piano, right, yeah. singing these booze-soaked ballads. And now he's way. heading
1: more towards the theater. Yeah, he ends up with with the Black Rider. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a very good, interesting sort of way to look at it. So when they escape the prison, they 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 find uh, these great scenes in the swamp. Their boat slowly sinks into the muck and the mire, and um, and then they find a uh garage and they say, Bob, you go in there, check it out. So oh, it's okay. Benini goes in there, and of course it's the fairy tale ending. <laughs> Benini has a great life, like in a book for children. <laughs> uh, where it's an Italian woman who's in there and she's got just huge plates of pasta and she falls in love with Bob and she wants him to live there forever. And so um Jack and Zach come in and they eat and they drink wine and they get new clothes and they head out and they meet you know, have a crossroads. One goes east. One goes west. The end. Fantastic movie. Just a, <laughs> what a beautifully sculpted work of art, just carved out of character and light and music and I'm such. A I'm such a fan of this film. It's it's fantastic work.
0: When I was watching it, I was looking at those scenes in the swamp. Uh, the film is shot in very very crisp black and white. Yeah. By Robbie Mueller, mm-hmm. who's Dutch, right? Okay. Uh, I don't know. I he's wouldn't. Something. He's something. <laughs> there's an umlaut in his name, so he's some I'm something. But in those swamp scene, scenes I was watching, it was partially the cinematography. I it almost reminded me at times of something like Night of the Hunter, where mm. that's a real swamp. I mean, there go that's a real place. But yet the way it's shot, it felt there's a sort of fairy tale slash artificialness yeah. to it. And he's
1: doing it purposefully to allude to previous films and, like, uh, prison break films of the 30s, 40s, and 50s.
0: Yeah. I do like when the the escape, they come back and, you know, Bob Benigni says, you know, I discovered a way. I discovered a way to escape out of the yard. And then, like, 30 seconds later, they're running through it. <laughs> and then when they finally, when they get out to the swamp, he says, we we are escaped, just like in American movies. <laughs> Oh, I, like I, also, I I have to say, I like how this episode is giving us a chance to do all our favorite impersonations. <laughs> Benini and Tom Waits.
1: Tom Waits are uh, out. The title of the film, Down by Law, is a slang expression from black America from the 20s. Did you know this? Mm-mm. And Jaromish explains it as, it's, it's interesting because you think it means the opposite of what it actually means. It sort of sounds like it means, like, you're being held down by the law, like you're constricted, oppressed by society. Maybe like you're imprisoned. But what it actually refers to is like I'm down by law. Like I know my way around the around the town. I can I can like play the tricks, and the cops can't get me because I'm down by law. So, uh, fun little sort of contradiction and expectation there in the title.
0: I did read when the film was released in Italy, Benini's home country, it was released under a title. That was down by law, but all crunched into one word, phonetically. So it was like, down by law.
1: (laughs) That Cannes Film Festival uh, press conference is so funny because Jim Jarmusch is there and John Lurie... And they're smoking cigarettes and trying to act so fucking cool. <laughs> and Roberto Benigni's there, and every time they ask him a question, he just explodes with energy. He's just like, Jim Thomas he changed my life. He is uh, the best thing that's ever happened to me. I, I love him. I love everybody. I want to make
0: love to him and Valerie and, and uh, Tom Waits. And uh, it's just beautiful. It's just a beautiful man. Oh, remember? Th- and this was really like that shining moment of everybody fell so much in love with Benigni in yeah. this film. We were all just like, he's amazing. He's great. Uh huh. And then it's so crazy just to like, look at what happened to him after this. Was he Oscar for Best Picture? I yeah, but does anyone think of that picture? Does anyone think of Life Is Beautiful in favorable terms anymore?
1: I don't know. I mean, I feel like.
0: And do you know? Do you know a single know. person who has seen Roberto Benigni's Pinocchio? No. <laughs> no. I mean, he yeah. had a couple of films. He did a couple of actual Italian films that were released and. In distributed in the states Johnny Staccato oh, yeah. was like a gangster comedy send up Yeah, yeah. yeah. but I just it, starting with Life is Beautiful it just seemed like he just drifted away from all of us
1: yeah but that's why I think it's really nice to go back and watch Down by login, because then you you see that there is such a beautiful soul here such a unique human experience that they captured like fucking lightning in a bottle <laughs> with this movie you know and um and it 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 for me it, it washes away all my memories of him climbing over the seats at the Oscars and all of that. And uh or not even wash the memories away, but just makes me see it in a different way. i just this is just a, a, a pure joyful, wonderful man. I don't know. And it makes me want to listen to more Tom Waits.
0: It does. It does make me want to listen to Tom Waits. I was thinking about that. Yeah. I think it was one thing you said earlier that I wanted to go back to when you were saying that you know, we get these introductions to their characters before they land in the prison, which is sort of the meat of the movie. Uh-huh. Yeah. With yeah. Uh- like, I, I I was thinking that, too. Like, when I think of the movie, that's sort of how I remember it. But as I was watching it, I was keeping an eye on the clock a little bit. Oh, it's interesting. Yeah. It's actually fairly equally divided. They, 50-50, the, huh? Well, not even. It's The time before they get in prison is about half an hour. Okay. Then they're in prison for... See, it seems like 10 minutes. Well, no, it's it's longer than that. And yeah. then they're in prison for a good chunk. And even once they've escaped, like when they're on the lamb and then when they land at the, the kind of the diner with the Italian woman, you know, that's another probably half hour or so. So the prison is definitely a little bit longer, but it is, there's something about it that draws your attention when you think of it in your mind's eye yeah. but it the both other sections are e- are more substantial than what they feel like i, I mean there's something of a it,
1: maybe it has to do with the fact that they never leave that cell and it just you know and it, it does a really good job of of psychologically uh, uh sort of compacting and and reflecting just the monotony and the the long-term period of of a prison stay yeah so um, but that's interesting. I was thinking about doing that, too, about looking at the, at the watches I was watching it, but then I decided to just kind of...
0: I sort of slacked off. I was pretty good about the first transition from, you know, introduction to prison, which is about 35 minutes. Yeah. And then by the time they escape, I sort of forgot or I was into yeah. the movie, and then I was like, oh, wait, and kind of backtracked. I mean, it, it also is... You really see Jim Jarmusch as... He's a director where you think of him in, in the broad strokes and he's you know got a very cool persona himself. Mm-hmm. And he he's made a lot of movies that have a very cool veneer right. about them.
1: His latest movies are all about that.
0: Oh, I haven't seen it yet. No, I really great. I really want to. But I like like watching this movie you can really see him as, you know, constructing these things, constructing these scenes and constructing the the film overall. There's a lot of symmetry to the film, mm-hmm. yeah. Both in terms of, like, at the very end, just that lovely shot or that that moment where, like, Tom Waits and John Laurie are at the crossroads, and you got one's gonna go this way, one's gonna go that way, and it's just sort of like this perfectly yeah. framed shot of this. I, but yeah. even early on, there's bits and pieces where, as we're meeting our our main characters. They're both in these situations with these women. At one point, both of the women are in bed, pretending to be asleep. And there's shots of both of them opening their eyes.
1: eyes. I I agree. You know, I mean, he relies a lot on um, improv. And he shoots a lot of extra stuff that he doesn't end up using. Like, he shot an alternate ending for this movie. Um, But... uh, but yeah, this one does feel much more sort of like carefully constructed and laid out. I think it's because it's got that sort of triptych of structure of out of prison, time in prison, escape. What else you got? What else about Down by Law?
0: I think the, the opening sequence that you mentioned where it's just the, the kind of camera panning yeah,
1: across, across the work of the beautiful... New Orleans, New you see Orleans houses, you yeah. see factories,
0: you see swamps, you see everything... Shacks I think, and and that along with the Tom Waits song that's playing at the time, you know, "Jockey Full of Bourbon."
1: Yeah,
0: I think that sequence too has become very iconic. Oh yeah. Just in terms, and we've seen it, and I think we've seen it in other things since then. You know, the the beginning of The Sopranos, in a way, yeah, totally. is very familiar.
1: Yeah, and <laughs> and the symmetry in that too is very interesting because it pans from right to left. Introduce Tom Waits. No, introduce John Laurie. John Laurie, and then it goes left to right. Introduce Tom Waits. Are you reading my notes? What I got that
0: right here. I have a little diagram. Hey, drawing. that's why we're <laughs> such good co-hosts.
1: Well, uh, I think that about covers it for our first film. I think that's pretty good. Let's take a little break and let's listen to a little bit of Mister Tom Waits. <laughs>
0: Welcome back. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Call and Response. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. You can subscribe to us on iTunes.
3: Yep. And And uh, while
0: you're there, if you want to leave a little note, uh, drop a few stars in our... All the stars. All All the stars. I don't want to be presumptuous and tell people what they have to rate this.
1: And you're listening to a live episode. If you're listening to this right now, we're actually speaking these words, right? Is that how this one
0: works? No. (laughs) Oh, no? no? (laughs) Look outside the window. If you're standing outside the window of the shack, you're listening to a live episode. No. Uh, So
1: our second film, our response film that uh, Doug came up with, I mentioned at the top of the hour, Bresson's A Man Escaped.
0: 1956.
1: Fantastic film.
0: And the reason I chose this was very much, as we kind of mentioned before, down by law really skips over the whole prison break idea of it. Yep. I it know happens to escape, boom, boom, out. you're out, which I kind of love. It really works well for the film. But I know some people some people then ask, "Well, how did they get out? What did they do?" And <laughs> it's a movie, it's a fable. They're not worried about that. So, my response I decided to go with a film that is almost exclusively about the step-by-step process of breaking out of a prison.
1: Now, A Man Escaped is based on a true story, correct? Yes. it's. Is it's, this really how the guy escaped? Yeah. Okay, cool.
0: It's based on the true story of uh, a memoir that was written by this guy, Andre Devigny, mm-hmm. who was actually a prisoner of the Nazis in this prison in uh, World War II. Uh, Brisson himself was a prisoner really? of the Nazis. At the very beginning of this movie, you see... These words come up over the screen, and it's in handwriting. It's like in what you can assume, Brisson's handwriting, where he says, This is a true story. I've told it as it happened, unadorned. Robert Brisson. Hmm. Which is then immediately followed by a shot of this plaque that is placed at this prison now, where it says, Here, under German occupation, 10,000 men suffered at the hands of the Nazis. 7,000 died which is i think an interesting way to start this film because it immediately establishes the stakes mm. for the film. And the film is as we said it's a it's a prison break movie very much sort of a procedural almost about how this man got out of this prison where you know during in France you know in occupied France how he broke out. And we really although we learn little bits and pieces of very various characters we're not given a lot of character backstory we're not given a lot of motivation for anything before or after the fact that they need to he needs to break out of prison the film starts he's being taken to the prison uh he gets thrown in in his cell he slowly starts to learn assemble tools he gets a spoon that he's able to then start working at the the planks that built that, that form his door
3: C'est au hasard et au désœuvrement que je dus ma première chance. Je restais souvent assis devant ma porte, n'ayant rien d'autre à faire que d'y promener mes regards. Elle était faite de deux panneaux de six planches de chêne maintenus dans des cadres de même épaisseur. Dans un intervalle entre deux planches, je crus voir que le bois d'assemblage n'était pas du chêne, mais un bois d'une autre couleur, être peuplier il y avait sûrement un moyen de démonter cette porte. Pour obtenir une cuillère en fer, l'étain et l'aluminium étant trop mou ou trop cassant, j'ai dû attendre plusieurs distributions de soupe. J'en fis une sorte de ciseau. Non, les planches n'étaient pas assemblées par un système de tenons et de mortaise taillé dans le chêne même, mais par une réglette de bois tendre que mon outil pourrait attaquer facilement. Je calculais qu'il me faudrait quatre ou cinq jours pour venir à bout d'une réglette en coupant ou faisant éclater le bois.
0: You know we see how he built you know creates a rope he creates grappling hooks right step by step you know we see we meet a few of the other prisoners we see a few other escape attempts uh but again, you know like very much when you're in the cell, you're in the cell with him, we don't see a lot else yeah. we we actually throughout the film don't really learn much of anything outside of what he knows. Fontaine, the main character, knows himself. Right. Although there is a narration to the film, that seems to be being told long after the fact. It's right. you know he's yeah. recalling this. So sometimes there's bits of information that's relayed through the narration that obviously the Fontaine of the moment doesn't have yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it again, it's a very you know Robert Bresson is thought of as one of the great French filmmakers. The fathers
1: of the French wave. Yeah,
0: I mean, he, but he, although he, you know he wasn't. T- he was one of the main figures that the French New Wave were kind of like looking at It's like, oh, this is... We can base our cinema on what he was doing already. Yeah. You know, very sparse in a lot of ways, especially this film. Mm -hmm. As he says, this is a film that's very much... Very unadorned.
1: Yeah, I think... uh, Yeah, unadorned is a big thing for him. You know, he wants to create this new sort of like cinematic style. This is one of those movies that I feel like you show to like a young punk now and they're kind of like, eh, but it's like you got to kind of realize how much this changed everything like it looks so familiar because everyone's biting Robert Brisson's style but um yeah unadorned he wanted to step away from sort of theatrical performances and he would do take after take after take to sort of strip down his actors until they just had a very sort of um austere style to their delivery Brisson is also sort of known for now real me in if I'm going out too far in this one <laughs> this sort of idea of metaf- metaphysical transcendence in his films And this film, especially, A Man Escaped, is sort of the most emblematic of that idea, where you can sort of transcend reality, the world, life itself, through film. What's going on in the film is he's trying to escape the physical constraints of his reality, and the things that he uses to escape that physical reality are very simple physical objects like the spoon the rope, the... Um, pencil. Pencil, yeah. The pencil's key. And then there's a scene where the priest is like, uh, I'm so happy I've got my Bible. And that's going to allow the priest sort of to escape his prison of his mind. And um, the main character's like, uh, you've got your Bible, I got my spoon. Or I got my pencil, or whatever it is. And then he later he gives the pencil to the priest, too. And it's sort of like as he's slowly... You know, like you were saying before, he slowly escapes like bit by bit, like first he gets out of his cell and then he gets out of the hall and then he gets off the roof, but then he like goes back every time, back into the cell, until he makes it all the way to the end where there's this fantastic ending where they walk off into the fog and liter- literally kind of like walking into heaven, into like the clouds and as he's getting further and further along in these ventures out into metaf- metaphysical transcendence, his Tools that he's using are getting more and more complex. And like you say, like they become grappling hooks and and uh, and and metal uh, uh, chains and stuff like that.
0: The priest we're talking about is a fellow prisoner. Yeah. Who you know says they just pulled me right from my pulpit, and. Um, it's sort of Kafka-esque, this whole thing
1: with the You know, with they, with the lack of background on what yeah, people are. Yeah, but
0: concerned. that's that's actually. I mean. Get distracted from the point I was going to make, but this other thing. But no, but that's one of the things I think, where when you watch this film, you can really see what a master filmmaker we're working with because he knows exactly how much he needs to give us. Mm -hmm. And there are, in terms of like the character motivations, it's it's so brief, but it's really all you need to know. Like when the priest says, "They pulled me straight from my pulpit," or. You know, one character, his only explanation for being in there, you hear other prisoners say, his wife denounced him. Yeah. At one point, they're talking about some of the other prisoners, seeing, seeing other prisoners as this prison starts to get full, and they mention one pri- one new prisoner is still wearing his wedding suit. Right. So you,
1: you strip don't... strip down to just like a single sentence.
0: Exactly. Like, this yeah. is the core essence of these beings. Is this really is what good, you need to know. And the same with, like, the physical space, because we, again, we're only in this, we're in this cell with him... But, you know, they say right up front, the cell was about three meters by two meters. Mm-hmm. And there there can be various descriptions of the physical space around them. But you rare, like we as a film viewer, rarely see it until we have to see it or until Fontaine is there. We don't even know about the existence of the sunroof until Fontaine does. And that becomes key to his right. escape. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not like
1: the camera is. Point of view is yeah. Is it's it's
0: interesting just. because it's it's not that Chekhov style of like we're gonna set everything up. Yeah. We're gonna introduce everything you need to see at the beginning of the film, and then it's all gonna come back by the end.
1: Right. It's not like he walks in. And he's like, and there's the lamp that he used to make the grappling hook. And blah, You know.
0: It's just it's very step by step. Yeah. And Talking about the the spirituality, I think there's a conversation between Fontaine and and the priest later where. The priest is basically saying, look, God's going to provide, you know, you, you need to, you need to make your move. I know you don't have all your answers worked out yet for how you're going to do this or that, but uh-huh. time is running out. God will provide. And Fontana says, I think he needs, you know, I'm going to help God a little bit. <laughs> if God just provided everything for us, that would be too easy. He needs, you know, I, as a, as a man taking action, I need to take some responsibility for all this as well.
1: And it's like God does provide. He's provided me all these tools. He provided me with the spoon and the pencil. And like that's how good, you know, it's kind of like that joke about like the waters are rising and the and the guy's like, I'm going to wait for God to save me. And the guy in the boat comes along. He's like, I'm here to save you. He's like, I'm going to wait for God to save me. And the helicopter comes along they're like, get out of the water. And, and then he's like, I'm going to wait for God to save me. He drowns. He gets to heaven. He's like, God, why didn't you save me? He's like, well, I sent a boat. I sent a helicopter. <laughs> You know, it's funny, I I took a class in college on uh, uh, transcendental film, and um, we talked about Bresson, and we talked about Ozu, and we also talked about The Incredible Shrinking Man, because (laughs) I thought you'd
0: like this. Wait, I don't think that's in the Schrader book, is it?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Because uh, in the end of that movie, it's a really sad ending in Incredible Shrinking Man. He keeps shrinking, like there's nothing that stops him, and he just gets smaller and smaller and smaller until he just disappears. But he doesn't really disappear, right? He just becomes like the size of an atom or something. And like the last line of the movie is like, I know I'll still be here and be in existence because God has no zero. God has no concept of zero. It's beautiful. Amazing, <laughs> and it's transcendent.
0: Another thing that's really, again, like an example of Brassan as the master filmmaker, and this was only his fourth film it was, he, had, he had already done, his previous film was, was Diary of a Country Priest, mm-hmm. which again obviously reflects the whole spiritual yeah. nature of his filmmaking. I think his next film was going to be Pickpocket mm. right after this, so I mean that's a pretty major major triple play right there. Yeah. And so many other you know great <clears throat> films to, to both, come.
1: Both those films deal with the same sort of thing of these small, common, everyday household physical objects that allow you to sort of transcend your life and, and get to where you need to be. Because his upbringing was very religious, right I think yeah, I believe so, yeah, and so that is sort of informing and it's it's fascinating to watch this man sort of come to grips with his uh his belief and his faith and sort of create his own um, worldview out of the filmmaking as you see his films evolve over his filmography
0: i mean there's the great book that he wrote i mean book is not quite the right term for it, but notes on cinematography mm, yeah which is which is more than simply notes on cinematography but just notes on filmmaking and it's all these thoughts that he has about how to approach filmmaking and just these little concise i mean they could almost be tweets in a way i mean they're not they're not elaborate thoughts but again they get kind of like right to the heart of the matter right to the point of things one thing I I also love about this film is the use of sound in it. Yeah. Is pretty incredible. I mean <laughs>
1: because you're confined to that space and so when you hear, you know, people approaching the cell or just all sorts of yeah, things it's it's very sound driven.
0: They exactly. I mean you again you're getting a sense of the physical space, you're getting a sense of the storytelling just through what you're hearing. Mm-hmm. And I think one of my favorite sequences towards the end like as they're finally doing their big escape and they're breaking out in the hallway. At this point, we should we should mention another thing that's going on, a kind of an internal the most dramatic thing in the film outside of just the whole idea of being breaking out of prison is eventually Fontaine learns that the reason he's in jail his case has been determined. Mm-hmm. We never see any kind of court, we never see any kind of trial, but he's simply brought in this office and says is told his fate has been determined, he's going to be shot because he's in jail for espionage and bombing. And up to this point, and this is probably an hour plus into right. the film, we don't actually know why he's in jail. You assume he's a resistance.
1: Or I kind of just assumed like that he is just an innocent guy that just gets kind of swept up in it, you know?
0: Maybe. Yeah, but But
1: So that's kind of a twist for me.
0: Once he once he learns his fate and he knows, you know, sooner or later he's going to be shot. He gets, he gets taken back to his cell, and the next day he's given a roommate, who's this very young boy, probably like 15, mm-hmm. who comes in dressed, actually, he's wearing a, a German soldier's jacket, mm. but he's got the leggings and the boots of a, a French soldier. So Fontaine does not know... Nobody, None of the fellow prisoners, even. Nobody's quite sure what side this kid is on. Right. Is he a plant is he is, he, is yeah. he a spy is he is he indeed an innocent who just got kind of caught up in things right. so there's there's a moment there's some internal conflict in fontaine about like am i going to have to kill this kid mm. can i trust him with my plan because i need to get going i'm either going to bring him along or i'm going to kill him those are my only two choices so he comes he eventually comes to grips with them and in Decides to bring the kid into his confidence and tells him the plan, to which the kid says, "Well, I, you know, let me think about this. Whether I want to throw in and Fontaine's like, no, 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 you understand, you're in now. You yeah. are committed, which is you know a very thinly veiled threat. I felt, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: But you're what I was, what, I'm killing you. Yeah.
0: What I was going to say about the sound is that, as they're escaping, they're they're. When we first see them crawling up through the sunroof, and this is they're just at the very beginning of the escape plan you hear the sound outside of the prison there's some there's streetcars and a train and as they're crawling up out of the sunroof you hear this the rumble of this approaching train. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of a slow build and gradually getting louder and it's just this sort of white noise train rumble monstrosity. And it really is the one moment in the film where I think Brisson is like using sound in that way to just build tension. Like almost as a soundtrack. And so it's 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 you know, it's it's getting you all ramped up as their prison break starts. But then what's great is then as the prison break continues and they have to go across this roof that's covered in gravel, so you have to walk very slowly, they then have to acknowledge and adapt to like using the sound of the train which comes back periodically as a way to cover up what they're doing and cover up some of the noises they're making as they as they escape. So the idea, like, Bruson is using the sound, he introduces the sound at first just as almost, even though we know where it's coming from, it's almost non-diegetic, you know, it's just there right. as a tool of the filmmaker to build the sequence, but then it very quickly transforms into a tool of the characters to aid them in what they're doing. It's amazing. And it's and it's so seamlessly done.
1: Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's very deftly handled. Yeah, he's, he's incredible. Yeah, that and that stuff like that is just like, yeah, nobody matches that, not even today.
0: And even you know, in this in the sparseness of the film and of the script, you know, a lot of it is very matter of fact. Where he says, Fontaine's narration is saying, "I then washed my face." You know, as we watch him right. washing his face, you know, like some of it is very spot on. Where like he's narrating what we're seeing him doing some of it like i said you know alludes to the fact that he's got some perspective on this we sort of know either from the title or from this narration that he does eventually escape but there's also little bits of the narration which is very poetic you know i there's some of my favorite lines there's one one of the other prisoners is talking about another prisoner who had tried to escape and fails and one of the prisoners says to fontaine you know Orsini had to fail so you could succeed. <laughs> and towards the end, you know, as they're getting ready to escape, Fontaine's narration says the night was black. Tomorrow night would be even blacker. <laughs> and it's like you, you again, you're assemb- you're bringing all these feeling, these approaches of like very matter of fact, right. non-adorned things to this sort of very straightforward and plain, but yet very poetic. Yeah. In the moment.
1: And that's why his yeah maybe that's why his poetic flourishes sort of like stand up better I don't know what I'm trying to say here but because they're in such stark contrast to the stripped down nature of everything else you know he's like killed all the other darlings yeah what's well, flowery language and of of uh, overt characterization or excessive characterization and
0: I was just gonna say you said flowery language I was gonna say which do you appreciate more a lone beautiful flower in like a uh, abandoned lot or a single flower in a field of flowers. Exactly. Yeah. And he, he does, I mean, Brisson does really avoid so many trappings of where he, where the where another film would go and build excitement and tension about this. Early on in the film, when, he, when Fontaine is being brought to the prison, he tries to escape. He manages... He jumps out of a car. He jumps out of a car yeah. and runs. So we see him getting ready to do this, you know, and the hand goes to the door handle a couple of times, <laughs> but it's not right, so he just sit, puts, sits, sits back. Then he does it again. It's not the right time. But then when he finally does it and he opens the door and he bolts out, the camera just stays in the car. It's a
1: great technique.
0: It's 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 almost like that scene in Gun Crazy where the camera just stays in the car as they go to rob the bank.
1: Yeah, I'm sure there's tons of movies that have done this, but it feels very modern when you see it. You know, it feels like, ooh, what a bold choice. And you're like, well, Brasson did it in 1956. Yeah. Um And you can see in the back, in the distant background, like the cop car behind them stop, and cops run out and and chase after him, and like one other random cop like runs the other way for something <laughs> else, and just like. Chaos and confusion, and I think there's even gunfire, uh, and then they just bring him
0: back. Yep. Yeah. and then you know, and then and then you see as they bring him back, they put finally put handcuffs on him, and you get the sense they're about to beat his hands with the gun. There's there's there, there's a sense like are they going to break his hands right now? Right. But like as he's getting taken to the prison, there are various times where like the police hand him over to the guards, and the guards seem to then take him into a back room and work him over a little bit, but we don't see the the actual. Uh, beating. Right. You know, the, it's one of those cases where the door closes just as that first blow lands. <laughs> and then I think, he, and then there's another, like the guards then give him to the Nazis. The Nazis seem to work him over a little bit. So right. by the time he gets to the cell, he's bloodied and his shirt is ripped. And you like, but we, so we get what we need to know. We know right. that he's been worked over, but we don't get that visceral, voyeuristic thrill yeah. of watching yeah. him be beaten.
1: I also like that later in the Film in his prison stay, even though his wounds have sort of healed and everything, he's still wearing the same bl- super bloody shirt, which is just like this grim reminder of like the uh, s- the suffering underneath.
0: It was odd as I was watching Down by Law. Mm-hmm. I was watching it, enjoying it as I always do, but at the same time, I had a little bit of a, a split as I was watching it, where I was not sure if I was enjoying it as much this time or if i was enjoying the fact that i remember enjoying it so much back then <laughs> was there was some some sort of temporal disparity yeah. as i was watching it
1: i was kind of worried because i remember i had not seen it for years but i just remember loving it so much the first time i saw it maybe i would only seen it once before and i was a little worried that it wasn't going to hold up but it it does man yeah. it does
0: but i think i think with a man escape too that's a film like i think you watch you could watch it multiple times and just keep getting things you out of it catch more stuff absolutely keep getting things yeah. out of it so Even though you know, Man Escaped is sixty something, fifty. Well, I'm I'm trying to think, trying to do math in my head. Thirty years years prior to this one, it still seemed you know like it still seems so fresh and just ready to be rewatched and rediscovered. Yeah, where you know like Down by Law, I I still got all the same pleasure I always get out of it, but it was almost like I knew the pleasure I was going to get out of it, and I like. It didn't increase or decrease, it sure. was, like, exactly the same.
1: It was a nice pairing. I think we did good this week. I think so. It was a nice call and response. You want to take a little
0: break? Take a little break. All right. Play a little music, we'll do something. We'll and right we'll be back.
4: This building is the military prison of Montluc, Lyon. In 1943, de cet univers de ciment et de fer cerné par les mitrailleuses allemandes, un homme a réussi à s'échapper. Un seul. Le lieutenant André Devigny. C'est l'histoire de cet exploit unique que raconte le nouveau film de Robert Bresson. D'un côté, des murs, des barreaux, des soldats, des armes. De l'autre, Un homme seul, désarmé, battu d'avance. Cette confrontation dramatique d'un monstre et d'un homme, la prison et son prisonnier, a été reconstituée par Robert Bresson sous les yeux même du héros qu'il a vécu. Certains épisodes pourront paraître incroyables, mais la vérité rigoureuse dépasse toutes les fictions. Un condamné à mort s'est échappé, Et pourtant, ce qui entrait à Montluc devait quitter toute espérance.
3: So
0: we have been talking about Jim Jarmusch's Down By Law. 1986. Lane's pick for today, this week.
1: My pick for my life. Really one of my top ten movies in my whole life, I think. Yeah? Yeah, I think it's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's up there.
0: And then I followed it up with A Man Escaped.
1: 1956.
0: Which, I always, I was thinking the title of the film was A Man Escapes. Hmm. And then when I was kind of surprised when it came up on screen and it was Escaped. I was like, "Does that, What does that change? What difference does that make?" It is interesting. It is. It gives a kind of a different air to it. Hmm. Anyway, it's all probably slightly mistranslated from the original French. Sure, y'all speak French? Oh no, I don't. I'm afraid. I've probably, I probably, we've probably been mispronouncing something. <laughs> we haven't said many French words.
1: Well, talked about the Cannes Film Festival. That yeah, there balanced, you go. Right, and Robert Bresson. <laughs> So, uh, any recommendations
0: for other stuff for people to seek out this week? Do you? What do you? What do you think? You have any recommendations?
1: Well, there's a fantastic movie that just came out called "We Are the Best." But I think if you're oh listening to this goodness. podcast, you probably follow me on Twitter, and you probably know that I love this movie, and I tell everyone to go see it.
0: It is by the time this podcast drops. Ooh. As is the. like a rapper. Ago, yeah. <laughs> we are the best. will have been in theaters for about a week. Yeah. So it is. It is a great film. It's probably my one of my favorite films from Toronto last year.
1: Oh, I got another film. What's that? I was just... When I was in... Uh, can. Uh, can't, no way I can say that and not sound like a jerk. Uh, there's a new Ruben Ostlund movie called uh, Force Majeure, which is amazing. I can't wait for everyone to see. But you should watch his previous films. There's a movie called Involuntary, which I think is on Netflix Instant by Ruben Ostlund. He's a Swedish director. He's very sort of... Uh, plays with framing and and he's sort of a structuralist uh filmmaker in a sense seek out involuntary on netflix instant i like i like it a lot
0: and i think another i'll throw out a recommendation because that i just sort of piggybacked on yours for we are the best which i can't (laughs) recommend highly enough but a little bit in keeping with a man escaped I will. I will go with something that I'm looking at right now. The
1: TV show Prison Break.
0: No, you know I watched that for like the first season. I kind of. After a while, I Did was just like. Did he get out of prison? I think they eventually got out of prison. It was just so ridiculous. At a certain point, I was like, "This is."
1: What? Does he break out of prison every week and then get back in? Like at the end.
0: No, no, no. It's very. It's by stages. He's got to get out. He's got to get out into That'll the be corridor. to out get out out. every week, and he got caught again. It's like Hogan's Heroes. It's like at a certain point, I think one of the characters had a tattoo of the prison. Right, right. And I'm like, wouldn't they, the prison guards have noticed that <laughs> as you were entering the prison that, that you have that's a tattoo? You can that information. I can't believe that.
1: Uh what were you saying? I'm sorry to distract you. I
0: was gonna say if if you haven't, again, like going back, if there are things that you haven't done that you really should, one of those would be reading Art Spiegelman's Mouse. Yeah. Which is a graphic novel about
1: Probably the most highly lauded graphic novel of all time, right? I mean it's like Treat it like real literature, not like comics. Exactly. Yeah,
0: and it's 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 a story of of Art Spiegelman and his relationship with his father, who was in the concentration camps. It's a portrait of Nazi Germany, and you know the most famous thing you probably already know. This is the film where like all the Jews were portrayed as mice. Right. The, the Nazis. The comic, the comic. The Nazis are all cats. Cats. Is it who are the pigs? Are the Polish the pigs? Or the so. French the pigs? I can't remember now. But again, like if 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 Man Escaped is one of the essential World War Two films, which I think you could call it that because it's an essential film overall. So it's an essential World War Two prison break, By the power of spiritual, the power. all that stuff. By Mouse is probably one of the essential World War Two texts. Absolutely. So I'll throw that out as a recommendation.
1: Good. Well, I, I feel like I'm antsy to get to the next chunk, next segment of the show, which is what is your pick for next week? Because I don't know, I don't know what Doug's about to say. He's gonna throw something. At me. He's got, he's got a little smirk on his face. It's driving me crazy.
0: My pick for next week, by my calculations. Let me
1: drink a sip of water so i can just a take here
0: By my calculations, <laughs> the next call and response, we're gonna record it next week. It will come out the week after, so it'll be come out sort of mid-June-ish. Uh,
1: don't hold us to that. I
0: don't know. Sometime in June-ish. We had a busy month out of us. Which is about as far from Christmas as you can possibly get. Okay. So I like that because we're going to be able to divorce ourselves a little bit from the whole seasonal craziness that happens around the holidays. Okay. My call <laughs> film for next episode, Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life.
1: I, I, I I'm, I, my jaw is dropped. I don't know what to say. I don't have to rent this movie. I can just play it in my head <laughs> constantly. Also one of my favorite films of all time. I've seen this film hundreds of times. Can't wait to talk about it next week, buddy. I got a lot to say. Yep. Good. What am I gonna respond though? I don't know. How That's could I you. respond to this movie? Oh, what a challenge. What a challenging co-host you are. <laughs> oh boy.
0: So tune in next week. Find out what Lane has come up with. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook. Subscribe to us on, in iTunes. All that kind of stuff. And keep listening. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you, Line. Thanks, Doug.